Welcome to BIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. The British Columbian real estate industry has released a series of recommendations it hopes would yield greater consumer protection, transparency about transactions, and a more coherent housing market, which, as we know, is still quite red hot in this province. Its white paper makes 30 recommendations and is partly in response to, and actually in rejection of, a recent BC government announcement that consumers will be permitted a so-called cooling off period when they buy property before they really lock in. Darlene Hyde is the CEO of the BC Real Estate Association. Her association, of course, has put out the study. She joins me now. Good to see you. Great to see you, Kurt. Let's uh, let's talk a bit about uh, what problems a study like this sets out to solve or or at least address. What what are the big problems? Okay. Uh, good question. There were two streams of problems. One was around consumer protection and providing mechanisms so that buyers and sellers are making this transaction uh, with as much information at their disposal as they can. So one was around for primarily peace of mind for buyers and giving them the time to make rational decisions. But that is... That's one part of the problem. The bigger part of the problem and the far more intractable part is the supply issue because our demand is triple the supply in this province. Um, It's a Canada-wide problem. Scotiabank has said that uh, Canada is short by 1.8 million uh, units of homes in 2021. We're at the bottom of the G7 in terms of housing units per thousand people. We've got a problem nationally and in British Columbia. Uh, we are 25,000 units short or listings short of what we need to be to have a balanced market. A balanced meaning supply and demand are sort of in equilibrium. And so we're 25,000 units short of, in terms of listings. We have immigration that has been on hold during the pandemic. It's starting up again. Mm-hmm. Canada expects to get over 400,000 immigrants, of which BC can expect 70 to 80,000. We have no place to house these people, and we need them for our workforce. Our, our aging workforce needs uh, uh, immigration, and uh, we, we just don't have the housing infrastructure to support the domestic demand, let alone, let alone the uh, uh, demand that's coming. So that's the backdrop. Uh, it's an ex- it's a period of extreme scarcity, and so every time a home goes up for sale, uh, there's several offers because there's more buyers in the market than there are units to buy, and that's the market. Uh, the, we can't do much about the market in the short term, I believe. Uh, the things you the governments have tried over the past ten years have been trying to suppress demand by you know the uh, uh, the the interest rate. I, the uh, uh, oh, the tax. I, I, I'm having yeah. a blank here, but the, no, the, there, uh, there's been a handful of these taxes in yeah, British Columbia. Yeah. And a question that's designed uh, if, that if it's not going to cool demand, it's at least going to get some government revenue um, for the lack of supply, right? I mean, it, it, you're you're going to get something out of it. Right. Is there anything that you recommend in in the study that that can really address though the questions of supply, or or did you kind of just say, look, it's it's a governmental issue. Government seems to be on it. Let's just let it take its time. No, we, we made two definite recommendations because it's not just a government issue. It's uh, 
it's an issue that involves government, certainly, but uh, the private sector, the not-for-profit sector, and the three orders of government. So we recommended two things on supply uh, because suppressing demand was, and the word I was trying to think of was stress test, which was an, an, uh, a way of trying to keep people from buying too much house uh, and, and appropriate to their financial The two recommendations we made, uh, first at the provincial level, was that municipalities, uh, in order to get infrastructure funding from either the province or the feds, like the transit funding, they must commit to producing units of housing appropriate to their official community plan, the housing needs, the bylaws, all of those kind of things. Right now, what happens is, first of all, at the municipal level, the housing permitting systems aren't as efficient as they could be, so it takes sometimes years for, yeah. uh, for units to be approved. That's one issue. It's a bureaucratic issue. That's an e easier fix. The second problem is that uh, you have proposals. They come to city council. City council, anywhere city council, has a town hall. And uh, oftentimes people show up and say, we don't want that high-density project in our neighborhood. And the mayor and council has no cover. They have no cover in terms of, okay, they've got citizens who uh, who are their constituents saying, we don't want this. And yet they can't say something like, listen, you may not like this, but if we don't produce these homes, we're not going to get funding from either the province or the feds. So it provides cover for municipal councils to actually put some of these houses uh, on the market that are more, that are denser, different forms, laneway home, you know, all these kind of different kind of homes. At that federal level, because this is a Canadian problem, uh, we want a permanent housing roundtable that's made up of the three orders of government, the federal housing minister, all the, all the housing ministers of the, of the provinces, uh, the municipalities, and representatives of the uh, private sector and representatives of the not-for-profit sector who are trying to build homes for low-income or uh, people with vulnerabilities, transition homes, that kind of thing. So those are the two major recommendations we've made around supply. Yeah. You, you've got a, a curious situation as an association because, of course, you're representing not just buyers but sellers. And and you know you, you're also representing people that live in neighborhoods that bought houses from many of the realtors, um, and they don't they don't want density, right? They they really don't want density. Um, very few people say, by all means, let's congest my neighborhood. Let's make it a little more difficult to get around. Let's have a lot more people here. Um, what what do you kind of say to that so-called nimbyism that pervades a lot of our cities? I'd say the world has changed. Uh, we have a, uh, a collective problem and density is likely coming to a place near you. Uh, and uh, there are very few places that are insulated. There may still be enclaves of low density, but um, the world as we know it is, is changing. I mean, New York, they've lived with density for, you know, hundreds of years. Europe, a very different world, high, high density. So um, this, the world changes, and we've got to look at ways of accommodating that change. Yeah. So that's what I say. Okay, that's 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 fairly direct. Um, 
one of the early uh, areas that I think the, your study has been focused on and, and the media coverage in the early days has been around this issue of a cooling off period. Now, as a consumer, you know, the first thing you think about when you have a cooling off period is like, oh, good, because sometimes I make a bit of a mistake or, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I was getting and, and I, you know, I, I sleep on it. I have some buyer's remorse. And this is great because I get out of what is the largest expenditure I'm going to have in my lifetime in all of this. Your association says this is an ill-considered idea that, you know, you weren't properly um, uh, consulted on. But give me the reasoning on why it's a bad idea, Darlene. Okay. Well, from, from two perspectives, from the process perspective, it was a broken process. That This was announced as a solution without any consultation. Uh, with with the sector or anybody else that we know of. And certainly uh, there is no rationale that is available to us. A policy rationale that informed this decision has not been made available. So we're not sure where the idea came from and how it got attracted. We've done a lot of study on it uh, because it was tried and I don't know if it's still in place in Australia, but mm -hmm. uh, in Australia, we saw price increases in several Australian cities where it was in place. And the studies uh, that our economists uh, looked at and, and further studied indicated that if there is an increase in bids, and there are increases in bids with a, um, a cooling off period because there's a get out of jail free card, so you can go and make um, more bids than you might otherwise do. Uh, that an increase in bids tends to result in an overall increase in prices of between two and three percent. And this mm -hmm. is because the seller is pricing in the uncertainty. Okay. Before it was, hey, I got it, I got an offer, hey, accepted, offers good to go. Now they get an offer and they have to wait. I don't know how long this cooling off period could be, but they have to wait until the cooling off period expires before they know. The offer actually went through. So there's uncertainty, uncertainty for the seller, who the seller is also a buyer, usually, because you're selling one property and you're probably using the proceeds from that sale to finance another home. And so on and so on. It's a chain of dependent transactions that are usually time dependent. So you can have a whole dominoes, a whole chain of transactions up in the air because of uh, of a recession period. So, yeah. we, and we also think, here's another thing that we think, we think that if there's, let's say there's a price associated with exercising recession, and there, I would think there would have to be, uh, but let's say there was, um, who has the money to go around and buy, put an offer on this property, that property, and the other property, and then at the end of the X day recession period, pull all but one. It would be the more sophisticated and more resourced buyer. It would not favor the first-time buyer who's counting every penny of that down payment. It so would be an investor, likely, right? It would be it would be an investor as opposed to an occupant. Uh, probably, and so it favors the uh, more institutional type approach. So we figure: listen, what are you trying to solve for? You're trying to solve for buyer's remorse as a result of making a hasty or ill-advised decision when buying a home, usually because of lack of time. You didn't have time to think through. 
So what we're saying is, how about a pre-offer period? And it works this way. Day one, the house goes on the market. Day five, offers are received. In between day one and day five, no offers are entertained or received. The prospective buyer can uh, go to their bank, their in their mortgage broker. Uh, they can talk to a home inspector if they feel that's appropriate and get the home inspector. They can go through as many times as they like and look at various aspects of it. They can deal with the insurance issues. Uh, they can do all the due diligence ahead of making an offer so they don't have to put conditions necessary, or they might have to put conditions if they wish, but for example, you don't have to put a condition on subject to home inspection if you've had time to do it. So you can get it done, done, you can get it done in that five-day window, is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, and so from the seller's point of view, it works too, because you know you're getting solid, well-thought-out offers. From the buyer's yeah. point of view, it gives them the time, the ample time to make rational decisions as opposed to scrambling. I mean, today, Kirk, you know that a house goes up for sale at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's often sold by three in the afternoon. Well, I, I will I will tell you, I can speak from personal experience. That's exactly what we just did last October. Um, and, uh, and the same thing when we sold, it was gone in a day. Um, the one other area of behavior that I, I find fascinating uh, when I think about this uh, five-day period is that it would also probably discipline the buyer to have um, essentially a, a team of, you know, of, of a, an inspection specialist, a financial specialist, uh, maybe uh, an appraiser, um, maybe maybe even uh, a contractor or or somebody who would then be able to kind of come into a place in that period where it would be much more on, be almost like a five-day open house, right? Um, that you'd have going. You've your, yeah, you've got your Rolodex of go-to people to help you make that decision. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's uh, positive. Now, the feedback we've gotten so far uh, from from government, it's only been in the last day, is, well, this will create more multiple offers. Oh, no, it won't. Multiple offers are a function of demand ex exceeding supply. We're getting multiple offers now. We'll get multiple offers then. It's got nothing. Multiple offers are a function of uh, our market. Uh, and, so and, that, and, and, and realtors will uh, quite often say we're listing it today, but we're only taking offers for it in three or four days in order to try to get that multiple bid thing going, get a little bit of a bidding war. I mean, it's not like that phenomenon doesn't exist anyway, right? What, what you're, exists. what you're, yeah. 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 It exists yeah, now so. because there's more buyers out there than homes to buy. So that's, yeah. so you're going to get multiple offers. The second thing we've heard is, oh, it'll affect prices. Well, we have no research that supports that at all. Uh, it's not going to have an impact on price. And the third one we heard was, oh, well, realtors would recommend that, wouldn't they? Um, they're commissioned salespeople. Uh, this is a total red herring. Whether it's pre-offer period or cooling off period, the aggregate number of transactions is going to stay the same. It's limited by the number of units in the market. So realtors commissions are not affected one way or the other. So uh, those are those are the only criticisms we've heard about it. Yeah, I, I wonder whether uh, I mean I know that each buyer has a specific set of criteria around what constitutes an acceptable house or what they want out of a house and all that. But um, you, you took a look at the issue of mandatory inspections as well, 
in all of this. And I, and I know you can't really standardize an inspection to make it acceptable to a broad group of people, but I wonder whether we might be getting to an, a, a period where a seller has to demonstrate the inspection on a house. And, and because you, you did talk a lot about mandatory disclosure. Around. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, with that mandatory disclosure is, uh, without saying, a part of the pre-offer period. So I maybe neglected to mention on day one, all the property disclosure statements are available for the prospective buyer, all the strata documents. So they have full visibility into any uh, documents around that home. Um, in terms of mandatory inspection, like if I'm buying a teardown or if I'm buying a new home, I don't need an inspection. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, I might be able to buy a 30 year old home and don't need an inspection just on visible on visibility uh, inspection. So we don't really like the idea of mandatory home inspections, but we do feel that people shouldn't have to forego a home at home inspection by by not putting that as a subject um, and because they want the home. As because they will be, you know, acting against themselves if they say, "Okay, I'll I'll forego the the subject to home inspection in order to get the house to get the house and realize, you know what, I should have had a home inspection." So right. um, this five day period, and it's five business days plus the weekends, so it's a little more than five days. It allows you to, if you really have issues around the integrity of the unit, get a home inspector. Yeah. Do you feel is there flexibility? You think in that proposal is it? you know, would, could you do it to seven days or 10 days? I mean, because the other thing, of course, that happens is that some buyers, frankly, do need, they need to get out quickly, or they've got their eye on another property, and they, they want to get a quick yeah. closing, move on. There's some tax stuff at the end of the year for investors, all those types of things. Uh, so do, would you extend it by more than five by very much? Well, this is just an idea, like we're, we're open to consultation and discussion, maybe it's seven, maybe it's 10. I, I don't know, but we want to have to start somewhere. And uh, we're not fixed on the five days at all. But what we're fixed on is ample time before you make the listing to consider your due diligence and your risk management on a proactive basis. That's the principle behind it. Whether it's five, seven, you know, uh, we've heard five was the minimum that people needed. Yeah. Because um, obviously not every place is the lower mainland with a lot of home inspectors and appraisers that can easily drive over and take a look at a place and th those types of things. Uh, so there are some some issues there around the province. Um, last area I want to explore. I mean, the the association and the, the realtors it represents um, really underwent, I think, a lot of very quick regulation um, a few years back you know, when when uh, the BC Liberals were sort of in their last right. days. Um, and I wonder whether now um, you can reflect back on some of that and see what has worked and what hasn't and whether, you know, there's any, any uh, wisdom in revisiting some of the regulation that took place then that just hasn't had the desired effect in your view. Well, yeah, that's a, a good question. If we reflect back on the several years, I, I do think that uh, the, the problem that they moved to initially was two regulators. We had a superintendent and we had a real estate council. That did not work uh, because yeah. you had two, you know, and the, the boundaries between the two and the roles between the two, that didn't work. 
Um, I think, you know, I have to give the BC Financial Services Authority a nod. I think it makes sense to have an, uh, a large integrated, uh, uh, you know, regulator, including uh, the real estate sector, because the real estate sector is a very large player in the financial market. Um, it's the largest asset most households purchase. And oh, you can see the, the, the provincial budget depended on it's, that. It's $3.2 billion uh, to, the, to the provincial government, too. So it's a big thing. And I uh, I think the BCFSA is a, a, a good idea. What I'd like to see more uh, from the BCFSA, as they, they just kind of incorporated us last August, um, they have other... You know, they have the credit union sector, the mortgage brokers, the pensions and all that stuff. I'd like to see more real consultation with the sector before they go along a path and get themselves down a certain direction that maybe is more difficult to backtrack out of. And that's what happened with the with the cooling off period. It was announced, you know, we're going this way. We're going to consult on how we're going to do it. Well, hey, I take issue with the premise. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to do something else. So I, I think the consultation needs a little work. And I think also, I mean, I've grown up and I've been involved in a lot of regulatory bodies, Insurance Council of, of British Columbia, the Motor Vehicle Sales Authority. And uh, there was always a bit of an arm's length relationship between a regulator and the politician. And I think you want that. You don't want the politician kind of poking their nose into the regulator and telling them day by day what to be doing. Uh, you want to empower that regulator to do the due diligence, to make their informed decision, their policy work, and have some kind of arm's length independence. And I'd like to see more of that too in the BCFSA. Yeah. Uh, that they're, you know, if the minister said something to do something, they might say, well, minister, let's, let's look at this and maybe take a step back and maybe look at some options. So those yeah. would be my thoughts on on the regulator. But as a concept, I think the BCFSA is is an appropriate regulator. Well, then I should get your uh, again as a last question. I promise. Uh, uh, get your view on the statements that uh, are are kind of a veiled, not threat, but a, certainly a warning to the to municipalities by the housing minister, um, the minister responsible for housing, David Eby, that. You know, if, if you're not going to develop, if you're not going to develop your communities for you, um, we're going to have something to say about this, and, and you're going to have to pay attention to us. Um, we're in an election year uh, with municipalities. My hunch is that very few of them are going to take this very willingly. Um, where where does the association come down on this one? Well, actually, um, we come down with the minister. We we agree mm -hmm. uh, with the minister because. It goes back to our thinking that times are changing and density is coming to a place near you. And let's just accept that and uh, give up the nimbyism and look at how communities can be built that are, you know, live, work, play, higher density. They can be very attractive and very amenable. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the home, you know, the single family dwelling with the white picket fence and the big backyard and the big front yard. Maybe that's a thing of, of the of the decades past. And our, our lives are changing, as I said. And um, municipalities won't make those changes unless there's 
carrots and sticks. And mm. uh, so, uh, you know, I, so I, like, quite frankly, I, I, I agree with the, the minister on this. Yeah. Point. Well, Darlene, um, you're, uh, you know, we talked just before you, we started, but you're, you're leaving the role at the end of the month. Um, I, I, I come back before you're done, right? And uh, give us a little bit of a, you know, let us, let us, let us really talk then, okay? For sure. We do that? Well, it, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Kirk, to yeah. uh, talk to you from time to time on issues, and uh, I hope to be part of the business community going forward. Just not. We're not going to. Don't worry, they're not going to let you go. Don't worry. It's just like. <laughs> just not twenty-four-seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Darlene Hyde, good to see you again. Great to see you, Kurt. Bye now. Point publisher and editor in chief of BIV. Thanks a lot for watching.